0: Good morning. If you would like, please turn in your Bibles to Luke 6. We're going to be talking about and reflecting on the gospel passage from this morning. The version that I will be reading from is a bit different, but it's a, it's a familiar passage to most of us, so I don't think that will mess anyone up. But let me open in prayer. Father, we thank you that you live out a goodness. That is much greater and more encompassing than anything that we could ask or imagine or deserve. And Lord, we feel overwhelmed when you ask us to live out that same goodness toward other people. And so, Lord, we offer those emotions to you, that fear, that anxiety, the uncertainty, the lack of a vision of what that would look like and how that's possible. We give all these things to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to be talking this morning about judgment and the tendency when you speak about judgment is, to, is for the sermon to itself become judging people who are judgmental, um, which sort of misses the point, right? So I give you permission, if you see my finger wag this morning uh, to call me out on it, we're going to be resisting the urge to say that judgment is something that we get to condemn in other people, uh, but it's not something that we do. Um, so the intent of this sermon is, and I ask you to indulge me, don't be worried about your neighbor's judgment, or the sort of general Christian tendency to be judgmental, or your spouse's or significant other's tendency to be judgmental. The invitation from the Lord this morning is to look at our tendency to be judgmental. Um, and we will do that far better, because if the sermon is only for everyone else, we've missed the point. So if you would, turn to Luke 6, and we're going to, I'm going to jump around and within Luke 6 a little bit. But let's start at verse 39. Jesus also told them a parable. Can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully qualified will be like the teacher. Why do you see the speck or the moat in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, friend, let me take the speck out of your eye. When you yourself do not see the log in your own eye, you hypocrite, you pretender, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. So I suspect that this example, this passage, is something that we're very familiar with. And I was going to go into the Greek behind log or beam and talk about what that means because we all know that when, you know, when preachers start talking about Greek, everyone gets really interested Uh, because everyone loves ancient languages. But I thought that a better way to show what Jesus is talking about right now is not by talking about the intricacies of the Greek language. But this is a small example of what Jesus is talking about. The the word is actually like like the main beam of a house. So even this is a little small, right? But Jesus' example is, had. brother, it, it pains me to tell you this. <laughs> but you have a speck in your eye. And I, I know it's hard to see, but I can see it. Would you please let me help you take that speck? This, this is the picture that Jesus is giving us. The judgmental person, the, the ridiculousness, the absurdity of the judgmental person, is someone who could have something like that in their own eye and dare to offer correction, dare to offer advice to someone else. And I wonder, how many of us can identify times within the last week or two where we have been judgmental to other people? Maybe it's been a judgmentality that we've expressed. Maybe we've been outwardly critical of people without really understanding them and their situation. Or maybe we've had the, the good sense to keep our mouths shut but in our minds, and our hearts, we spin and we foam and we criticize and we condemn. And how many of us, when we're in that mode, see ourselves as ridiculous in this way? None of them, right? The whole problem of judgment and why it feels good to judge people, especially judging people for being judgmental, which is its own sort of nuances, we can't sense the ridiculousness. We can't sense the absurdity of what that looks like. But let me tell you, everyone else can. How many times have you judgmentally interacted with someone else and they've been, you know you're so right. I see it now. And they change. And the real, the real nuance, the, the stickler is, it doesn't even mean necessarily that I'm wrong. God may very well have had a speck in his eye but me being right about the spec doesn't make the spectacle any less ridiculous. And so what's ridiculous about judgment? What is Jesus calling out? And I think it's primarily two things. One is I may not be able to see Chad clearly. My own judgment, my tendency to criticize to condemn makes it impossible for me to see him as he is, to see his heart, his reasons for doing what he's doing or not doing what he's not doing. And so I miss the fullness of who he is and why he's doing the things he's doing. It makes it impossible for us to see the other person as they are. The second difficulty is, I don't see myself, right? And so if, if a doctor or a surgeon, right, if I walked into a doctor's office and they're, you know, they're sporting this bad boy, right? Mr. McCain, I, you know, you have a tr- trouble with your eye, I'm gonna need to perform surgery. We're, wa- we're walking out, right? We're walking out of the office really quickly. And so this is the example that Jesus begins with. Say, don't misunderstand. If you desire to help other people, and you are bearing judgment in your heart, you are categorically unfit. It's a non-start. And there are times at which we sincerely want to help people, and we think that that's what it looks like but very often right the, the judgment is we're not really trying to help the other person are we when we're carrying around judgment what we're trying to do is criticizing others makes us feel good about ourselves or at least makes us feel less bad about ourselves we feel in control or if there's something about myself that i regret well i mean look that sucks that's horrible look at look at this guy look at this schmuck it's a way of numbing ourselves down to the pain that we feel our own sin and mess and dysfunction and struggle. That's precisely why it blinds us. And so what do we do? Because if it were just as simple as, oh, I'll see, judge, see judgment, stop being judgmental, most of us would have stopped a long time ago. Right? It isn't something we find ourselves naturally in the position to do. And it's something that our society reinforces at every turn. How many of you have had opportunity in the last week, whether at work or at home or with friends, where the expectation has been that you will criticize someone? Or that you'll express an opinion about a subject that you don't really know all that much about. But you're expected to have an opinion. I think of those... those. Uh, I've seen it on YouTube, but the, the comedy show videos where they'll say, you know, they'll go to the street and they'll say, did you hear this thing that President Trump or Hillary Clinton said? And it was blah, blah, blah. And it's, the thing is utterly false, right? This person didn't say this thing. And what happened? Oh, I heard it and it's horrible. It's the most ridiculous thing. Or we live in a culture that expects us to be opinionated about everything there might be an opinion on. And if we show restraint, we say, you know, I haven't, you know I'm haven't. i not really up on that, or I don't really know that person well enough. We're not seen as virtuous very often. We're seen as weak. Or we're seen as the troublemaker, right, who won't, who won't fit in. Being critical, being judgmental, is very much a, a, team, a team-building exercise in, in many offices, in many communities, in many homes, in many churches, quite frankly. Um, I work at a company that has sites at multiple locations. And it's, it's basically a daily habit we get into to criticize one of the other sites for how stupid they are. And I would love to tell you that that's something that I don't ever engage in, but that's false. But that's judgment, right? That's being critical. And it doesn't change the other person, and it, it poisons us. Ah. And so what do we do? The first that Jesus encouraged us to do is to get in the habit of examining ourselves. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye? First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. When I think about why I don't practice self-examination nearly enough, the typical answer that I have is well, there's not nearly enough time. I don't have time to slow down, to get still, to listen, and to become aware of all my blind spots. But somehow I find time to become aware of the blind spots and judgments and failings of other people. Sometimes I don't, I don't run out of time in the day to be critical of other people. And so if the, if the flow of our culture and the flow of our, the flow of our natural way of doing things is to criticize others far more strictly than we're willing to look at ourselves, then what we have to do if we want to change that is to step back. It doesn't take massive commitments of time, but it does take a commitment of small amounts of time intentionally to get still, to listen, to pray, to examine ourselves, to get alone. Because very often, if we're in a crowd of people, you you will be asked to express a negative opinion about someone else. In that crowd, you won't be asked to express a negative opinion about yourself, but you can be sure that there are other crowds who are all about it. And so it takes breaking from the habit of our day-to-day lives for a few minutes a day and saying, Lord, what do you want to show me about myself? And when he shows you, it takes resisting the urge to beat yourself up, to self-flagellate, Because if you beating other people doesn't change other people, you beating yourself up won't change you. This isn't how the Lord deals with us. It isn't how the Lord tells us to deal with others. And so it ought not to be how we deal with ourselves. The people who think they can change themselves by just talking about how bad they are and how they have every opportunity to be better, if they think that works, how are they going to interact with other people? not well, not loving. And so if we want to begin to step out of this pattern of judgment and criticality and condemnation of others without understanding them, we make time to become aware of our own faults and sin and mess and deficiencies, of which there are many for all of us. And patiently bring them to God without condemning ourselves. The second thing we can do, look at verse 40. A disciple is not above the teacher. But everyone who is fully qualified, fully trained, perfect, right, fully formed, will be like the teacher. We have to be careful who we are being trained by. Who we're allowing to shape the way that we think and act and feel. And this doesn't just mean who are we allowing to be our pastors, or who are we allowing to be our educators at work. Or in It means... What does my social media use look like? What does my news media use look like? What does my reading look like? Because if we are in the habit of routinely listening to angry, hate-filled, judgmental, critical voices who express all manner of opinion with, without care for the truth or for compassion, whether we like it or not, we will begin to come that way. And the parts of ourselves that resonate with that will grow, will expand. And so we have to take care who we're listening to, because you could be sure that the ones who are teaching us will be the, the image that we are going to be conformed to, molded into. And so ultimately, whose image should we be seeking? Who's, at whose feet should we be sitting? The Sunday school answer is right. Go ahead. Jesus. Right. And that, that becomes later clear later in Luke, right? That the, the one true and perfect foundation is Jesus. And so this natural habit of studying the scriptures, praying to him, exposing ourselves to him, and to those who model him is essential if we're going to live the way he lived. And that's the expectation, that we would live the way he lived. But it doesn't mean that we can't learn and grow by following imperfect teachers. God forbid, right? Otherwise, no one's going to be here to give you a sermon. Imperfect people can teach us, and we can learn and grow from them. But the question is, what way are they headed? What's their trajectory in life? As we look at them, are they modeling in an increasing way, as as I hope I am, and I hope the, the other clergy and the other ministers here are, the virtues of Christ? Or are they resting content in patterns that are dangerous and destructive? And we have to be careful not only who our teachers are, but when we offer an opinion about someone else, we are presuming to be their teacher. And so if I interact with you, right? If I, if I lay a sentence at your feet, if I criticize you with judgment in my heart, not only do I not empower you to break from that behavior, I reinforce the worst part. And so there are times at which if we can't offer correction, offer truth and love, we are better off keeping our mouths shut. And early on, that's the bulk of what we ought to be doing. Because judgmental words, even if there's an element of truth in them, don't accomplish the thing that they intend to accomplish. They fail. And they reinforce things we ought not to reinforce. And so if you're going to offer an opinion about someone else, and there are times at which we have to. Right? There are times at which, literally, for the love of the person and the love of other people who are being damaged, right? we have to speak the truth. But if you're going to do that, slow down and examine your, for, your, yourself first. Most of the words that we say that are designed to help, help someone see how things are don't bear the heart Of love and truth that Jesus. And so very often what it looks like is stifling words. And there's a time to remain silent until we have the maturity and love and grace we need to be able to speak. Doesn't mean we have to be perfect, but that check needs to be. And then third, we need to practice being merciful. Verse thirty six says, Be merciful just as your father is merciful. And so one, we grow in our ability to be mercy, to be merciful, to show mercy, by drawing close to the one in whom it's, it's very nature. It's exactly who he is. From the, from the moment of his conception, Jesus was full of grace and mercy and truth and power. And if we want to be more merciful, everything we need is received from him. We're not expected to have it in ourselves. Right? We are expected to receive it from the source. And yet, receiving it isn't enough. We don't. Practice using it if we don't make a habit of trying it out. And so listen to the things, and this is from verse 27, that Jesus says we ought to be in the habit of practicing. Love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. Meaning, don't just love your enemies in the sense of, I'm going to try really hard to have good thoughts. Practice doing good things to people who do bad things to you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, don't ask for them again. And Jesus' synopsis of this entire thing, do to others as you would have them do to you. If this sounds amazing and incredible and borderline impossible, it's because it is. Luke's gospel is filled with two kinds of things. Miraculous healings and deliverances from the demonic and equally miraculous Christian character, calls to Christian character and submission. And what it means to be a Christian is as much to pray for the sick and the dying and, the, and, the, and pray for deliverance from demons as it is to live an ethic of self-sacrificing love. It is as much at the heart of the gospel and about what we're supposed to be a people as any amount of healing or deliverance. And just like healing and deliverance cannot happen in our own power, Miraculous Christian living can't either. And yet we don't see healing if we don't pray, and we don't see character transformation if we don't practice. And when we practice, we're going to fail. And what do we do when we fail? We repent. We receive God's forgiveness. We allow Him to love us. And to receive his love for us, even in the midst of our failure, which is a very hard thing. And then we try again. And it isn't that our trying is somehow magical, right? God provides the power. But we learn to make use of the power on offer. We rewire the circuitry of our bodies and our minds and our hearts so we look increasingly like him. And very often, we let ourselves off the hook. We say things like, when Jesus says, give to everyone who begs from you. We make all sorts of reasons why that's not a reasonable way to live. When he says, when someone hits you, give them the other cheek also. And let's be clear here. This does not mean that anyone who's in an abusive situation needs to stay in that abusive situation. There are times to get out. There are times to escape. And so, again, this is not a cross-the-board rule. But very often, we take minor inconveniences, minor slaps in the face. We blow them out of proportion, and we use it to justify why, why we respond the way we do. And at bare minimum, what Jesus is calling us to do is to put up with being slapped. Literally, or metaphor, to put up with these day-to-day incidents. Because most of the time, Our lives are not ones where we're suffering routine, systematic, abuse. For those of you who are, this is not an invitation to stay in those situations. But it is to say, when someone criticizes you without, without knowing the full story, you're called to forgive. When someone steals your stuff, you can afford to, you're called to not fight to get that back. Because this is the way that Jesus lived and he came not simply to set us an example to give it but to give us the power to live it out and it is every bit as countercultural and seemingly ridiculous as it sounds and yet if we're going to take seriously what Jesus says elsewhere to take seriously what Jesus says and we have to know that when we practice this, we're going to mess up over over. We're also going to get better. And what's promised to those who do this, who choose to live this way? A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. And so we don't don't have this image anymore, but when they would measure out grains, very often corn, there would be a measure of a certain size, and they would sort of get low, and they'd have it between their legs, and it would be a container that would hold. And they would pour the grain in, and they would shake it so that the air gets out, and they'd pack it tight. And they'd shake it again so the air gets out, and keep pouring in grain until that thing was full to the top, right? This is, this is not like the bag of chips where it's like this much air, right? It's like a bag of chips that is filled up to the brim. The entire bag is just Right? And that was what was I know. Listen, there, there's one more example coming. You're not, like, anybody who likes five guys, hold on like a second. So, and what happened was, they would, and they would level it off. And this was what was considered fair. Right? You've paid for this amount, and we've made sure that this is the amount you get. But what Jesus says, you not just get what's fair. It's not just pressed down and shaken it together. It's running over. And so five guys. They give you the container with the fries in it, right? And they put that in the bag. And then what do they do? They just put fries in the bag. The fries run over at Five Guys. And it, if you can handle a little spice, I suggest the Cajun fries. But what I mean is, this is an abundance of fries. Often there are more fries in the bottom of the bag than there are in the container. Yeah, Dion knows what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> this, this is the way that God says that we will receive if we are in the habit of giving that way. And this isn't, if you're in the habit of giving this way, it's a Rolex or it's a BMW. It's not, don't limit yourself to the material, right? But there will be things beyond what you can imagine that will be given to you here in this life and in the life to come. If you make a habit of living out the character that Jesus lived out, if you receive everything you need from him, To live that way. That's the promise. What that will look like for you. How it will manifest. Who who can say? I'm not in a position to tell you that. But I know that it's true. Very often we want people to treat us according to grace. And we want to treat others according to fairness. I don't want them, you know, I don't want everything to go poor. I just want them to get they deserve. I just want it to be fair. I just want it to be equitable. I don't want fairness for me. And I don't want what's fair for you. And if God were concerned about just giving us what was fair, he never would have become incarnate to give us far more. And so what I want to encourage you to do, get away from this mindset of treating other people about what they deserve. Doesn't mean you're not right. Doesn't mean it's not true. But you want far more for yourself, and so want far more for other people. The people in your home, the people at work, the people in the political party that you disagree with, whatever those people are, whoever you, you just want to see them get what they deserve, just step back from that manner of thought. Receive what you need from God to love them into something better. Let's pray. Father, when we think about what it looks like to live a life without judgment, we honestly find it hard to conceive. We find it hard to picture. Or we see this in your son, and yet we think that that's something only Jesus can do. And yet he gives us the command to live this way. And so we know it has to be possible. It has to be something that we can do by your power and your grace and your love. And so, Lord, we ask that you would expand our vision, expand our heart, change our sense of what we think and feel is possible. Lord, we pray that you would raise up even more examples around us of women and men who live this way. And that you would tune our eyes to be able to see it. Lord, that we'd see it modeled, we'd see it lived out. And Lord, that we'd see communities where it's safe to practice these things and then to talk with each other about how we failed, and what we could do better next time. Lord, take away this tendency we have between thinking that it's either grace or works. Lord, it help us to understand that you always lift the heavy end, and yet you call us to lift. Lord, teach us what this means. Give us everything we need or lack. Resist in us the tendency either not to try, or to white knuckle, and there not be anything more to us than trying. Help us to draw close to you, close to the source, to receive what we need, and then put it to use. In Jesus' name, amen. May your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven.